Uh, hi everyone, welcome to the Arsaholics podcast. Uh, this isn't Mize, it's normally Mize. Um, he, he hasn't just started sounding be- better, this is Rog. Um, and there's a reason I, I'm looking presenting less. today. Look, looking less, <laughs> much, much less here, sadly. Um, yeah, no, there's a reason he's not presenting today, uh, and I am. It's because I didn't see the game against Chelsea. I feel quite fortunate, maybe, in some ways, not to have seen the game against Chelsea. Um, I was unfortunately at a wedding, but Aaron and Mize were both there, um, and they're going to talk us through the experience, um, which probably had its ups and a lot of downs. But guys, uh, how are you guys doing? Good, mate. Good, mate. Good. good. Yeah. This is weird, isn't it? I know. How do you yeah, feel, it's mate? It's different. Yeah, it's good. It's good. <laughs> oh, yeah, less pressure. Handbrake off. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, exactly. Now you can go. You can say how you really feel now. Exactly. You don't have to be the Gary Lineker. No filter. No filter. Exactly. And guys, I know a lot of people have asked us about, um, you know, there are four arseholics, right? That's how we've advertised. But quite often, <laughs> quite, quite often, you're only, you're only getting three of us. So, you know, if, if just to just firstly, apologies, but um, Nero is still very much an arseholic. Uh, at the moment, he's very busy with life. He's got work, he's very busy, he's renovating his house, but he is an arseholic. And when that stuff clears up, um, we hope very much and we think very much he will be back in the fold. Um, but for now, you'll have to make do with the three of us. Nero was actually at the game as well. So uh, still more, more qualified to be here than you are, mate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. I'm just the guy who tries hard. Uh, yeah. Um, but, you know, let's let's talk about well, let's let's get into it, guys, because you know it's the first it's the first home game of the season. It's the first. Obviously, we were able to go to the Brighton game at the end of last season, but this was the first game at full capacity for God knows how long. I mean, where you? I had already accepted I wasn't going to be able to go, but how did you guys feel about getting to go to our first proper home game back? Yeah, yeah, it was it was really good. Like you know, after Friday, I think. Well, personally, I was like, oh, it's going to be a long season, you know, doom and gloom. But we had a week, well, over a week, right? Nine days. And then we had the new signings. And come Sunday morning, I was really up for it again. Like the the weather was actually looking like it might be quite good. And, you know, we met up early to, you know, have a few drinks and some food. And it was, it was really good. You'd go there and like, because the club told everyone to be there quite early as well. It seemed like even by kickoff was at four thirty, and even by like two, like the streets were packed and it was, you know, starting to get quite lively and, you know, just the whole experience of just doing that match day routine, like figuring out the quickest way to get to the ground and then getting some food and some drinks and talking about the game, talking about the season. Although, you know, there was this undercurrent of today is going to be a tough game. I think the atmosphere before the game was really good. And then when we went into the ground, like I said, because everyone was there early, it was, it was buzzing. It was really good. It was really loud. Everyone was super up for it. You wouldn't have thought that, you know, compared like when you go on Twitter, it seems like we're in a crisis. You wouldn't have thought we were in a crisis when you walked into that ground before the game. And even during kickoff, it was just really good. I was so happy to be back. And it just goes to show that there is nothing like going to a game in the flash and the experience of going to a game is so crucial to what I associate with Arsenal. And I'm not saying that, you know, Arsenal have loads of fans all over the world and I'm not saying I'm a better fan than anyone else anywhere, anywhere all over the world. But for me, 
that experience is just so good and so so powerful and that i missed it yeah, that's part of the reason, you know, the Arsaholics podcast has been part partly about trying to bring the match day experience to people. You know, we've yeah. always said we're very lucky to be able to be season ticket holders. Um, so, you know, I guess you guys did your usual hybrid Islington uh, getting off there. Where, where did you guys go go to drink first? Yeah, so we, um, yeah, I was pretty, it's echo everything Aaron and said, really. So um, a few days before the game, probably about Monday, Tuesday, I am, I, um, set up a separate whatsapp group without you raj <laughs> with, with no, yeah yeah man sorry <laughs> no just because you know you're on holiday and we didn't want to like be pestering you with messages about what time you're meeting up and what train what times of train pulling in and all that so anyway uh what? we booked a table at bird um, <laughs> what uh, yeah yeah about four hours before um so we got to watch the united game so yeah we went to bird obviously they're you know good good uh chicken and chips and uh, you look really sad man no, i'm just <laughs> upset about the whatsapp group i didn't know about this i didn't know about this lunch it was a, date. It was a temporary one it was it's, a temporary one it was a temporary it's formal one. get closed down so don't worry um <laughs> yeah yeah so we went so, to bird yeah like, like aaron said had a few beers there and um we were thinking you know we were contemplating should we go from bird to like horatia the rocket was closed though which is obviously one of our other normal uh places we go to but because it was closed we thought well other pubs are obviously going to be even more around than normal um, I think it was about half two. No, it was about three o'clock by the time we left. So we thought we'd just go straight to the ground. Uh, but it took absolutely ages to get in. So they've changed the, not to bore everyone who kind of probably isn't interested in this, but I guess some people <laughs> might be. They've changed, I don't know if it's just for this one game, but they've changed the security checkpoint. So obviously normally they do it at the turnstile, but they were doing it at the top of the stairs as you go past the armory. So the queue was backed up from the top of the stairs going down. So we had a bit of time there, um, but then we got straight into the ground pretty quickly. But yeah, the queue for beers was mental inside the concourse. It was really busy, but it lent itself well to the overall atmosphere, as Aaron had said. That atmosphere was really, really good. Everyone was pretty buoyant, singing. Um, yeah, beers were getting chucked around. So it was, it was good. It was good up until yeah. 15. The one downside, though, is they have put the price of drinks up to £6.20 mm. a beer, which is, yeah, that's, that's ridiculous, isn't it? £6.20. I think like, that's. Like Wembley is like something even more ridiculous, like seven pounds or something. But come on, six pounds twenty. It's a lot. Silly. It's a lot. So they need to do something about that. And I I do feel like the stadium itself is looking a bit run down now. Mm. Um like you look outside, I know the club have said that they're gonna do something about the decor outside of like the the covering on the stadium when they have the legends, that's all looking faded. The yeah the the concourse itself they didn't have any of the games on and stuff like that which and like they could have shown the game the Man United game that was on before the seats when you go to your seats like not that I don't know where I'm sitting because I've sat in the same space for a while now but you know even the seat numbers are all faded and stuff like that so I do think there is a lot of work to be done with the stadium experience itself and the club are not really pulling their finger out to do much but. You know, the whole fan experience itself is very good and I have missed that a lot. I think they're I think they're waiting to get rid of William so they can afford to pay for some of these paint the stadium renovations. Again, yeah. Well I was gonna say raise, raising the price of beer, maybe that's what they needed to do. Yeah. yeah, but you know, I don't know how much that is fueled by the club and how much of it is the supplier itself. And you know, it's it's an interesting one. But but you know, just going back to kind of the build up, uh, you know, whilst you guys were were, were drinking, whether it was the bird or bird or or at the stadium. 
obviously one of the fun things about the pre-game experience is when the lineup comes out, <laughs> you know, and discussing that lineup when it filters around whatever drinking area you are. So what did you guys think when the lineup came out an hour before the game? You know, a few surprises in there, I guess. There were there were some there were some murmurings on Twitter around uh, Ben White and rumors mm. that he had had COVID. Um, and and sort of, you know, there were obviously question marks around who was going to start up front given Ober and, and, and Lacquer's issues last week, which we now know is is COVID-related. So what did you guys think anyway when you guys saw the lineup? Yeah, I mean, I think it was it was a pretty expected lineup um, aside from probably one position. But I think Ben White, it was, I mean, it was reported more than rumours. It was practically confirmed, not by the club, obviously, but by pretty good sources that he had COVID. So he was going to miss out. I think the main surprise was um, was Cedric at right back, um, especially in such a big game. Uh, I'm not sure what the reasons for that selection was. I mean, I don't know if Chambers, I don't think he had a particularly bad game compared to anyone else against Brentford. So I'm not sure if he was dropped or there was a reason why tactically um, Cedric was preferred, but that was a bit of a surprise. Um, I, I kind of expected Aubameyang to come straight in because I thought, you know, you saw how much Balogun struggled and it was almost like, again, being such a big game, uh, you know, you need to just play your tried and tested season striker, even if he's only 60, 70% fit in terms of, you know, he's obviously been down with COVID. Um, but I guess, I guess that wasn't the case and I wasn't all that optimistic about, Martinelli through the middle because I don't think he's really ever convinced through the middle um, yet. Mm. Um, aside from that, I think yeah, it's a pretty pretty much expected lineup. Um, Lukonga starting again, which which I think was the right decision. He he was probably our best player against Brentford, um, and I think at the moment without Erdegaard, without Aubameyang, without Lacazette, the front four practically picks itself. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think this is actually going to be the recurring theme of this podcast. I think which is. That, that 11 was probably the best we could have put out, but it was so far off our strong our strongest 11 because of injuries, because of COVID, because of whatever else is going on. And as annoyed as I want to get, and we'll talk about this in much more depth shortly, as long as, as annoyed as I want to get about the result and the performance, you can't hide away from the fact that that was five, maybe six players away from our strongest 11. And then you look at the Chelsea lineup, and that was by far their, probably their strongest eleven. I don't know who was missing. Pulisic was out, maybe. Um, so yeah, like I, I say, like what would I have done differently? Like you take out Chambers, you put Cedric in. It's I don't think it makes a huge amount of difference in terms of overall quality. Maybe you get Cedric's a better defender, but Chambers is better going forward. The centre backs were the only two that we had left, <laughs> and um, yeah, it's just absolutely bonkers that. And then even the players that we did play, like Saka probably wasn't fully fit after coming back late from the Euros. He came off early. And then Martinelli was had a week of preseason with us or so. Hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, so the squad is... I don't know if it's bad luck, bad preparation. You know, I was thinking to myself, like, the only reason Partey is out is because he got injured playing a meaningless friendly against Chelsea, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, now, why are we playing Chelsea in a pre-season friendly for no reason really like we could have just had a you know did we kind of bring that on upon ourselves? um so yeah it was I wasn't unhappy it was more just a reluctant acceptance that this is the best that we could do and it's 
you know, it was already going to be a tough game and we've just made it 10 times harder for ourselves. Yeah, the only, sorry, just to add to that, the only thing I guess that we contemplated, I think we talked about it with Nero as well before the game, Aaron, and was he, was he going to go um, through at the back? Oh, yeah. Which obviously he decided yeah. not to, but that was a potential avenue he could have gone down. Do you think he would have done it if Ben White was fit? No. Not, not you think it was today? No, no. See, I reckon he because 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 you wouldn't need Ben about. White to be fit to play a back three when you've got Tierney that can play there. Mm. But more just the fact that you know Ben White is potentially stronger in a in a back three. That's his kind of preferred role. Mm. Um, I don't know. It's I know Arteta did hint about in his post-match press conference was that they did say they explored all the options and decided to go for this. So they definitely considered it, whether how serious a consideration it was, I don't know, but you know, who knows if that would have made a difference. So we could have been spending the whole of those 90 minutes continuously defending and we, we probably still would have lost anyway. I imagine they thought about it long and hard, given that we beat Chelsea playing a back three mm. at Stamford Bridge at the end, right? Uh, and I wonder if it's a case where Arteta just thought, you know what, this early on in the season, you know, I, this is how I want to play. I'm at home. This is what I want to do. And players are going to have to get used to coming in and out of the side because of injuries. And I think sometimes, you know, we want to point the finger. Don't well, It's natural. It's human nature to want to point the finger at something. But when we look at the injuries and and stuff it's there's nothing that seems to be that consistent we've had like you mentioned Aaron and Partey get injured um you know in the middle of a game um we've had people out with COVID we've had people who are getting injured in in training you know people getting injured on international duty so it's it's hard like you know I don't want to play the violin and maybe we can go into this a little bit later when we talk about you know where we are right now and how do we judge this team but you know, all these things considered, when you guys got in the stadium and, 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 and you kick off, I imagine there was a big, you know, everyone was really happy to be in the stands. Mm, and did you, it was. what did you guys feel like the fans, how, how did the fans get behind the team? Did they get behind the team from the start? Did they, were they optimistic? Yeah, I think 100%. Uh, I don't know about being optimistic. Fair. Sorry, Aaron. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, maybe not optimistic. Like, I don't think there was a, a belief that we were going to win um, as such, but. I don't think you can accuse the fans of being negative because mm. it was really, really good for the first 10 minutes. They did get kick off. I don't know how it sounded off on, on TV. Maybe, you know, sometimes on TV it sounds really quiet, but when the players came out, how, I watched a bit yeah. back when I got back in last night, when the players came out, it was really like, you could hear it. you like, you said often it is quiet, but you could really hear the crowd when the players came out. Cause Chelsea came out first, didn't they? So it was mm. obviously booze. And then, um, when the Arsenal players came out, yeah, it was very, very loud. You could, they, 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 I mean, you could hear Gary Neville and I think it was Martin Tyler. You could, you were struggling to hear them. It was that loud. So yeah, all right, yeah, yeah, yeah it was good. It's very good. And what was the reaction to Saka's when Saka's name was called out? How, how, how was the crowd then? Yeah, it was, it was loud. But actually, like Miles was saying, because it was loud already, mm. it didn't like go up a level. Right. Um, I did notice, like, it did, it did, like, it did go up a little bit, but it wasn't like it erupted because actually, you know, the, the atmosphere was buzzing at that point. And even, um, like, they read out everyone's name, like, Jacka got cheers, everyone got cheers. Like, new signings obviously got, like, Ramsdale was on the bench, I think he got a cheer. Um, it was very, very positive. You wouldn't, at that moment, if you walked in, you wouldn't have felt like this is a club, you know, undergoing a, a completely like a mini crisis, if you will. Mm. But I think, I mean, um, mate, at the end of the day, right, it, it's the first time we've been back properly in however yeah. long, year and a half. I think yeah. no matter the opposition, 
it helped that it was Chelsea and it was a big, you know, big game, London Derby, Category A, whatever. I think whoever we would have been facing, it probably would have been quite, I personally think it would have been a pretty raucous atmosphere, um, especially a pre-match and, and, and a kickoff, yeah. Yeah, I thought the Chelsea fans were surprisingly quiet given... I don't think they've you know, been really just, that good. Like, I don't know. As a way I, would, I was expecting like 90 minutes of like Champions of Europe, you're never seeing that or mm. something like that. But I don't think they sang that song once. <laughs> and yeah, like we've seen loads of away fans come to come to Arsenal and like make a racket. And I thought Chelsea coming in, having just won the Champions League, like they piped up at the end, obviously. But you know, they were surprisingly quiet. Hmm. If we talk about the key, I suppose the big key incident that happened first is probably what many feared would happen when you looked at the lineup, you looked at maybe, you know, Holding and Mari's potentially, you know, our, our, our second choice centre-backs up against a huge new signing for Chelsea, tried and tested Premier League striker, um, one of the best in Europe, Lukaku. And then I, 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 you know, the first update I had of the game was seeing Lukaku score on 14 minutes. Do you want to talk us through that? I mean, what what went wrong there? I'll tell you what I can remember of it. Um, so, for context, we sit behind the North Bank, which is the goal that Chelsea were attacking in the first half. So we had a, a really good view of both goals, actually. Um, and I remember Lukaku getting the ball um, just outside the box. And I think it was Cedric going towards... Sorry, not Cedric, Marie going towards him. And he just didn't... I remember thinking, just foul him, because if you let him turn, uh, he's going to do something. And um, he didn't. He got turned. And you could just see Reese James out wide in acres of space. And the minute he was in, all I was hoping was, if you find find whoever whoever it is in the box, we're dead. And um, yeah, Reese James is very, very good and very clinical when he's in the box. And he just laid it on a plate. And yeah, at that point, you're looking towards like the cross. So you're not even looking to see who's in the box. And when he crosses it in, you're just like, please don't let Lukaku be on the end of that. Please don't let Lukaku be on the end of that. Split second later, he's tapped it in the back of the net. And you're just like, this is... You're just, I was like, why do Arsenal always let the narrative win? <laughs> like last week, it was, you know, Brentford's first game in the Premier League. Brentford will be up for it. This is Lukaku's first game. And he's just like architected a really good goal. And... So that was what I was thinking first. That was my view of it. And then I was just like, I can imagine what Sky is saying. I can imagine what social media is saying. And, yeah, we just have ourselves to blame because we, you know, we got cut open. I think, yeah, I was just going to say, mate, just to add to that. I mean, the the, the, the gulf between Lukaku and our two centre-backs, I think both are uncapped. Um, yeah. you know, and Marie was cost how much he cost, five million quid, whatever it was, holding cost what he cost. Um, you know, and these guys are probably say substandard if we're being brutally honest, right? They're not um, you know, they're not gonna be able to complete with a compete with a player like Lukaku. And that just showed that just showed in the first goal, it showed it showed in the whole of the first half and probably the whole game to be honest, but it definitely showed for that first goal. The most impressive thing from Lukaku from if you're a Chelsea fan and the most disappointing thing if you're an Arsenal fan, not just two two things. One is the amount of space that Reese James was left in, obviously. The other thing, if yeah. you watch how the how what Lukaku does after he lays off the ball, is his movement towards goal. He just 
he just completely bullies Marie. Like he just mm. just just pushes him off the ball. Like I don't know, bullies bullies is probably the right word. Like they're both going towards a goal, and Lukaku's just the one who wants it more. He's stronger. Marie, does Marie fall over? No, he just like that, no, Lukaku bully, just the bullies way. him. Like he just shoulder whatever it was. He just pushes him off, pushes him away away from him, and and Marie just goes down. But no one yeah, appeals for anything. Yeah. It wasn't a foul. It was just no. no I didn't think it was a foul. But I thought. I was wondering if he slipped, but I didn't realise that uh, Lukaku had actually I don't think so. I just don't barged think so. past him. Okay. I think it's very intentional from Lukaku and he just got himself into the right position, timed the run perfectly and the ball was very, very good as well because I guess it's the kind of ball that Leno might intercept, but I think he played, I think Reese James plays it really well between, between sort of just in front of the goalkeeper, but right into Lukaku's path and yeah, like you said, Aaron, and he doesn't have to do anything. He just runs onto it and, and puts it away. So I guess a question for you guys, you know, Lukaku is arguably the most physically imposing centre forward in the world right now. Um, and it sounds like he used that, he used those qualities mm. in, 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 you know, in an amazing way. Would you guys have been, would you guys have been surprised if the same thing happened if Gabrielle and White were playing? When you say surprised, what do you mean? So I guess where I'm going with this is, to a certain extent, we could probably turn around now and say, you've got one of the best strikers in the world playing against our backup centre-backs. Okay, shame. It's going to happen. Something like this is going to happen. Lukaku is going to do that to plenty of other teams. But, you know, one of our, I suppose, a saving grace for us is we can perhaps turn around and go, okay, well, they're probably not our best two centre-halves. But do we actually think our best two centre-halves are capable of dealing with a world-class striker like Lukaku in a better way? I mean, Lukaku on his day is can be one of the best strikers in, in the world or currently in Europe, right? We've seen that. He gets goals wherever he goes. But I do expect Gabriel to just be a bit more physically imposing. Um, and he does, you know, he does seem to do a good job at just holding up some of these better strikers. Yeah. But, you know, I, if that had happened and it was Gabriel and Ben White, I would have said, yeah, that's like, well done, Lukaku. You've done well there. But it almost felt to me like we... We were more worried, like the, just having Lukaku there just absolutely terrified our defenders. And um, me and Myers were having a discussion about this after the game of Kieran Tierney and his positioning um, for that goal and, and the second goal as well, which was, you know, I think Myers felt that Tierney was, could have done better and that he was defensively suspect. I think he was, I think he was dragged in too much and maybe he probably shouldn't have been dragged in, but A, he wasn't really getting any protection B, you know, the way Lukaku and I think it was Mason Mount were set up just meant that he got dragged in anyway. He had to almost compensate because he wasn't sure if Marie would handle um, Lukaku. He had to come in just to cover for the fact that Lukaku was going to beat Marie. Right. Um, So, but I think like, like, put it this way, if that was Timo Werner, I don't think Kieran Tierney's as worried um, about Marie getting beaten and him having to compensate. I think I think he's... Yeah. Go on. I was just going to say, mate, no, I mean, yeah, like you said, we had this discussion. My kind of uh, annoyance was more at the second goal. Obviously, look, both goals were kind of bad from a defensive perspective. My annoyance at Kieran was more from the second goal where I don't think mm-hmm. there's any danger for him. There's no reason for him to come inside as much as he does having seen what's happened on the first goal and seen it's yeah. Reese James who's kind of exposed the space on that side he does the same thing again and the second for the second goal from what I can remember again I've only probably seen one replay on Twitter but I can't remember there being uh, much danger in the middle apart from Lukaku but then you're playing you know they're playing one up top versus two of our centre-backs we should be okay 
And I think it's a bit naive. And I've said this possibly to you guys separately or possibly to other mates, but I've, I, Tierney's clearly one of our best players and he's obviously a massive attacking threat and a big part of our tactic going forward in terms of, in terms of attacking. But I do think positionally he's got a lot to improve on. And I think that was just shown. I think that was just shown mm. from, from clearly from the second goal because he's nowhere to be seen. And he didn't get much protection because that kept happening over and over again in the first half. But for that second goal, I mean, Reese James is in acres and acres of space. And it was, it was almost just like a, I think it was like a ball watching moment or maybe he was coming mm. inside to protect Marie and holding a bit more, but he shouldn't, I don't know. I, don't, I would like to think, I don't know. I don't know why. I don't, I'm not sure if it's a, it's a decision he's taken to do that or Arteta's told him to do it or Marie's called him over. I'm not really sure, but whatever the reason was, it was just, it was just the wrong, there was no, so the, the, the issue, the main issue I've got is along with Tierney kind of being a bit naive there is that no one's told him. So after mm. the first, I was going to say the happened, same thing. No yeah. one's told him or Arteta, whoever, or the coaches haven't adjusted the plan to, you know, identify that problem and adjusted the plan to, 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 to counter it or to stop it. And it just kept, kept happening over and over again. Especially where we sit, right? So we sit behind that goal on that side of the pitch. So all we could see for that first half was just Reese James bombing up and down in acres of space. And it could have happened about three or four times. And you know, that was like, if we can see it, we're like, you know, two idiots in, in the ground. Like, what is the the really qualified football manager and the team? Like, why are they not doing anything about it? And it was constant. And it was so easy, that second goal, uh, to find Reese James. Although it was a very good finish, the way he put it away. I think he put it in, like, top, almost top corner, I think. I'm not sure. He yeah, it was a good finish. Really finished it really well. And you, know, you could see it. You've been warned once with the goal. It happened again once where he got in and he got in behind a few times for that. And it just kept happening. And then for whatever reason, it was, you know, Tierney was just in no man's land so many times. And I, you know, I watched him. There was once where he got really annoyed by it. I can't remember who he got annoyed by, but he, you know, he was just shouting to himself, like, what, what, what the hell's going on? And I, yeah, at that point, I think someone should say, well, either Xhaka come over and help him or Saka come back and help him because it was it was relentless and we weren't doing anything about it. And that was why I was really annoyed for that second goal because it can happen once, learn from your mistake, or someone take charge of that situation and say, right, that's not going to happen again. Well, I was just going to say, um, when you're Chelsea are a team that attack with their wing backs, it's part of their strategy. Mm. But I think when you get in a situation where you're 2-0 down and the right back has an assist and he has a goal, then it's a bad day for you, for the defending left back. You know, you, you kind of have yeah. to look at him. Yeah, yeah. But but you've just touched on something, you know, that at the same time when you're playing against a team which are attacking through their fullbacks a lot, you, you imagine that your left back's going to need a lot of help. So you touched on Saka there. Saka is playing as the left winger. Do you think he did enough? during that first half to help Tierney or, or, or just help that left-hand side defensively overall? Not in the first half. I, I, it looked like we did something at halftime to change it a bit. And I'm not, I'm not really sure what it is. And I haven't watched the, the game back. But certainly at halftime, Rhys James stopped getting that space. Now, you could say that's because Chelsea might have just chilled out and said, we're going to sit on this 2-0 win because we know we're good enough to hold this. But... It looked like Xhaka was playing in a slightly different position, but I don't know. Um, but certainly, after that first goal, for that for that next 15, 20 minutes, like, I would have expected a, a top defence to say, right, we're going to stop this happening again and not wait till half-time to stop it. I think, I think if you're Granite Xhaka, 
Um, I think it was probably a tough job he had yesterday because um, they've got a pretty strong central midfield as well. And he probably had a, you know, he obviously does that job where when we have the ball, Tierney goes forward and he slots in into that left back slot, into that, you know, left back position, which he was doing yesterday. You could see it when we had the ball. But I think when we didn't have the ball, you know, like you said, Aaron, and you've got Mason Mount, you've got Kovacic, uh, you've got Jorginho, you know, all players that are very, very good on the ball. And I can imagine, uh, you know, yeah, he just had a very, very big job in his hands. So I probably wouldn't hmm. target too much kind of abuse at Xhaka for not covering on that side. No, no, I don't think, Maybe, yeah, I don't think it's abuse. It's more just, could the manager have done something to stop that second goal happening and reacted a bit earlier? I, I, I Yeah, I mean, look, I think personally, if, I, well, if I'm being completely honest, I just think Tierney, Tierney's, Tierney's just positionally really bad for the second goal. Um, it did keep happening throughout the first half, but I attribute that a lot of that down to down to Kieran Tierney's positioning. I just think he is either ball watching or he's just getting dragged inside because he feels like he needs to. I'm not sure what the reason is, but um, but yeah, and yeah, I think Saka maybe could have done a little bit more. Maybe that's he's not he's not 100 fit, or I'm not I'm not exactly sure. But um, that's not really like him though. I, don't th- I think Saka generally does cover quite a lot. So, mm-hmm. um, and and he's someone who you know he's someone who takes accountability and and, and we're we're two nil down. There's a penalty shout where Saka gets in the box. Uh, did you guys? I know I know from where we sit, it probably would have been really hard to tell. And I imagine if if you saw a player go down in the other area, you're going to claim for a penalty from the North Bank anyway, aren't you? But what what did you guys think at the time? Did you, did you did you truly think it was a penalty? Yeah, I mean, I couldn't, I, I couldn't tell. You, could, <laughs> you can't yeah. tell, but I guess you can sometimes go on the reaction of the crowd at the other end, like the clock end or, you know, fans yeah. down the other end. Um, there did seem to be a big appeal from the players. Um, and it kind I, I personally thought he was going to, he was just going to give it because it just seemed to be one of those where, yeah, Saka really appealed, other players appealed, everyone mm. down the other end of the, the stadium was appealing. Um, and then I, and then, it obviously it went to VAR. We don't know what's happening when it goes to VAR when you're in the stadium. And I thought it might be one of those that gets given um, like post review, but I guess, you know, it'd have to be a complete stonewall penalty for it to be overturned um, from the on-field decision. But yeah, I mean, like the replays, I don't know. What do you guys think? I thought, I thought it was. Yeah. I saw the replay clear. afterwards. Like the guy next to me pulled it up about 20 minutes later. And I was like, the new mate. Yeah, well, he sat there last year as well. I was to say, you're replacing yeah, me already. Yeah, man. yeah, same guy. As he doesn't come all the time. Yeah, but, oh, I know. It's like Raj. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> you remember the first uh, episode? Uh, the first episode? When we did well, introductions, you were like, we were like four season ticket holders. And then you were like, oh, yeah, when it's a gay game. Right? <laughs> 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 well, well, no, this guy doesn't even watch the games on TV. Hey, it was, a, it, was a, it was a category A game when you turned up. Oh, no, you know, yeah. But, you know, okay, look, it's half time. It's half time. Uh, we're 2 0 down. Both centre backs have yellow cards. We've had a penalty turned down. I mean, tell me a bit about the atmosphere going into the second half. I imagine it was a stark contrast to how it was yeah. at the beginning of the first half. Yeah, I think at that point, all the atmosphere had been sucked out. Mm. And from then on, it was very, very. Yeah, it was. It was flat, wasn't it? It was very flat. It was, and that was it. You know, that's all to say. Um, no one really gave us a hope of getting back into the game, and because you know, I think I asked the question. I was like, "Well, who's on the bench? Who can we bring on after Aubameyang?" Hmm. And there was, it was Balogun, and that's it. 
Yeah, so the subs made, and it, it, Mize, I mean, what would you think of them? You had Oba came on for Saka, Tavares came on for Tierney, Balogun came on for Martinelli. It sounds like there were a couple of injuries there yeah, that might might have. I mean, what do you think about those substitutions? Did did they change the game in any way? I think the Oba one did. He came on. He had a lot of energy. He, I think he, it was almost like he came on. He really wanted to, you know, after what the season he had last season, um, and a lot of kind of doubters. Making 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 comments, whatever you want to call it, you know, a lot of kind of uh, criticism coming his way. Um, it, it he came on with yeah a lot of energy. He was making the right kinds of runs. You could see that when um, kind of the ball was when Chelsea were playing the ball around the back, he was you know, really really hunting the ball down. It came down came back to Mendy, and he was chasing Mendy down at full speed. Um, so he was doing kind of all of the right things, but I think. Um, you know, I mean, just on that specifically, I just don't think he really got, a, again, a look in in terms of any chances or, or really even trying to think of how many times mm-hmm. he really touched the ball. And again, that just comes down to lack of, lack of um, kind of getting the ball into the right places in the final third. Um, yeah, and like you said, the other two subs, yeah, I think they were enforced from, from, what I, from what I saw. I haven't really read much about if they were injuries or not, but Tierney went down for a bit. I didn't even see Martinelli go down. I just saw him went down off. with cramp. Oh, uh, was it? Okay. So he's okay, but he just clearly not fit enough. Yeah. Last 90. Um, I, I would have liked to have seen Saka stay, stay on. I mean, again, we don't know how fit, fit he is um, post Euros, but you know, he's the kind of player you want to keep on um, in a big game like this when you need some goals. But I guess, I don't know, is that Arteta saying the game's gone, but, you know, not worth risking him for another 20, 30 minutes. I'm not sure. But um, yeah, I, I mean, like Aaron said, you know, what other subs has he got left to make? I, I don't know who, I can't remember who else was on the bench. Bench, Like, you know, you've got Elneny, not going to bring him on. Uh, shouldn't bring him on. Um, Reese Nelson, was he on the bench? Possibly. Maitland-Niles, sure. Chambers, Bellerin. I'm not sure who exactly else was on the bench. So very, very limited based because of the injuries that we've we've got and no Erdegaard at the moment. All right, let's talk about that now as we, you know, we think about conclusions here. We've lost we've lost 2-0 at home, champions of Europe. Um, Chelsea are going to win a lot of games. We can talk about how uh, whether how good we think Chelsea are. But obviously Arteta has turned around at this point and he said, well, do you know what? I've got seven or eight first-team players injured. Um, and in fairness to him, he could... You know, you could probably say, like, I've got, I've got my spine that's been ripped out at the moment. I've got, um, you know, no Ben White. I had no Gabriel. I had no Thomas Partey. I've got, I've signed Odegaard, but he couldn't play. I didn't have Aubameyang. You know, I didn't have a Lacazette. He can turn around and you can say all that. I mean, what do you? How how much different do you guys think it would have been had we had a fully fit team? Would you think it's just it's just too hard to say? Yeah, I think I think you're right. It's impossible to say. It's. <sighs> The thing is, it's impossible not to look at this result in the context of last season and the eighth place finished and how we started last season. Because the way this looks is like it's very familiar with how we started last season. And that that's the real worry. And the fact that we didn't win against Brentford, um, or we lost against Brentford even, and we this was a continuation. And, you know, it's the patterns of play. Like, there are deep lingering questions about this manager in terms of how we play, how we build up um, and all that. So that's, that's, that's where I like, I, I remember like yesterday, yesterday just watching and I remember the last 10 minutes of the game, we did nothing. You know, this was Arteta. Arteta should have been going for it. And I don't think we, we hardly touched the ball and that was, and Chelsea were just so dominant and fair play to Chelsea because they were really, really dominant. And I think, 
if they wanted to, they could have won four or five nil if they really gone for it. But I think they just chose to chill after two nil. And um, yeah, that that was it. It was just you know what is the plan for us scoring a goal? Like when you really want to go for it, what are you doing differently? And why do we look even worse when we're chasing? And why is it that when we go behind um, in fifteen get like fifteen games we've gone behind? I don't think we've won once. So there are a lot of questions and. I am starting to get very concerned, but this this whole caveat of you know this, the you know five or six of our players are not there and not fit is a valid caveat. <laughs> it, it's, you say it's an excuse; it is an excuse. You take out six first team players out of any of the teams except Man City or Chelsea, and they struggle. So you look at Liverpool; they lost you know Van Dijk, and you know they had defenders out throughout the season. They struggled. Um, so we've had our two best centre-backs out and, and we're struggling. That's no surprise. So, yeah, I I almost, you know, I really wish we didn't have this injury concern so we could fairly evaluate where we are as a team. Yeah, I mean, my, it sounds to me partly what we're saying is fine. Yes, it's a valid excuse to say that we had a number of first-team players injured. But what about the identity of this team and how we're playing? Because in theory, the identity and the ethos and the, the the tactics and you know whatever you want to call it should be consistent even if you've got the second string in the team. Are you starting to see anything with, with Arteta's side or are we having the same questions that we had six months ago? Yeah, probably the latter. Probably the latter. I think... Um... I mean, in terms of an identity, right, us as Arsenal fans of the age that we are, you know, most of our uh, Arsenal experience has been has been as a Wenger Arsenal, right? Um, and that was a very clear identity in terms of how we wanted to play the game, how we wanted to score goals, how we wanted to attack, the type of players that um, he would he would he would bring into the team. Although that changed over the course of you know the iterations of the team. Um, but, you know, we would go to the Emirates every week or every couple of weeks and we knew what we were going to get. Whether whether it was that kind of calamity Arsenal, even towards the end of the, the Wenger era where, um, you know, you couldn't predict what kind of, you know, a game we were going to win or lose. But you know that we'd go gung-ho if we were one or two nil down in the last 10 or 15 minutes. And you knew the players that we had on the bench to throw on. Um, and I think with this Arteta team, like kind of Aaron and kind of touched on it, like, I think... Even if we had, I mean, I think the one player that we probably missed the most, maybe two, I'd probably say Thomas Partey, because I think he's massive mm. for our central midfield. But again, Lukonga had a decent game, considering it's only his second Premier League game and how young he is. Um, and um, Martin Erdegaard. And mm. there still seems to be, like we've said it probably every single every single time we've drawn or lost a game, and we've done, what, 30, 40 episodes, Um we keep saying, you know, the creativity. There's a problem in the final third. The final ball's not good enough. The creativity's not quite right. Does Erdegaard fix that kind of problem? Um, this tactic of... Like, there's this weird tactic that can, is probably going to work because we're trying it so many t- so often in a game. Like, it's going to work here and there. But this tactic of, you know, getting the ball out to Tierney and then him whipping in across... It's just, I don't, like, I can't really get my head around it because you haven't really got, like, if you if you haven't got a recognised striker in your first two games, you know, you're playing Balogun. Okay, Balogun is a recognised striker, but you know what I mean, right? It's, it was his, it was his mm. Premier League debut and then Marcelli going through the middle. I'm not really sure that's the right kind of tactic that you want to you wanna go for. And it's obviously very, it's very, it's a very obvious tactic now that 
other teams are going to see have seen us try so i think it's just a bit all over the place like i'm not really sure what the identity is there's obviously this like i said this 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 tactic of of, of getting it wide to tierney but i don't think we've got the right person in the middle for that unless you're unless you've got a bamiang on the pitch or you've got lacazette on the pitch we're, we're not creating any chances like even if you take even if you write off the chelsea and the city game coming up and you say look they're far better teams than us champions of europe premier league champions they spend however much they've spent and and you kind of make the excuses before we've even played them to say we're not going to be able to compete on the day okay fine but the brentford game shouldn't have been like that even if it was mm. set up for them to win it even if it was set up for them in terms of their first game um in the premier league and new stadium and all of that I still don't. I still think that we came out of that game looking like I don't know how, what you like. Disinterested is maybe the right term. Disinterested. Just I think we just look confused. I don't think this team really. There were there was one chance in the second half where I think we were saying wise where I think it was Pepe that got it on the edge of the box, and then instead of or might have been Saka, I'm not sure. Instead of um, like playing a pass in the middle, he just went like out wide again or back inside. Um, and they just kept passing it and then eventually went back and they recycled possession and kept passing it around. And whatever, this attack just doesn't look right. And the more, and I'm really starting to think it is a coaching issue now, mm. um, that whatever idea, either the idea is rubbish and the players are executing it well, but the idea is rubbish or the idea is nice on paper, but either we don't have the players to execute it or the players are executing it badly. Um, it's probably a combination of all of that, but I just think you, at some point you have to make the best out of the attacking players you have. We've got decent enough players now. We've got players like Saka, we've got players like Smith-Rowe, um, Pepe, who you know sometimes looks really good in the system, but sometimes looks just absolutely awful in the system when he's dragged out wide on the touchline getting doubled up on and he just goes back inside again and at some point you just have to make the most out of what you have well it's and a, yeah go on no, i was gonna say it's, it's interesting because we just started talking about pepe now but it's taken 40 minutes of this podcast for us to mention his name um and and in the context of reviewing this game i don't know if that's actually a good thing or, or a bad thing because obviously we've been talking about a lot of bad things that happened in the game we lost and and you know maybe in theory he therefore didn't have a very bad game but uh, should we be looking for him whatever the tactics may be whatever the coaching you know issues may be should we be looking for him to influence games uh, yeah. more i thought this but then i also realized that actually the last year not one attacking player has looked good in the system. Mm. Like Pepe hasn't looked good. Aubameyang hasn't looked good. Lacazette, Martinelli, Balogun. Um, Erdogan's come in, yes, but you, can, you can't really say that for the last six months that our attack has looked good with him in. Um, and, you know, it depends if you want to look at it as a glass half full kind of person or a glass half empty kind of person. But if you look at it with a bit more of a negative slant, when was the last time you say our attack has looked good. You know, there was that game, I think, against Prague in the Europa League where we scored a couple of goals. Um, there were brief moments, but throughout the last 12 months, our attack has never looked good. And this is a lingering feeling that I just can't shake. I mean, just just on... Yeah, I pretty much agree with that, Aaron. And just on Pepe, like, it was quite interesting because, again, the the second half, when obviously we're, we're the team that's supposed to... We're the home team, but we're the team that's obviously chasing the game and should be taking the game to Chelsea as much as we can. 
Um, <clears throat> but Cedric had a really bad game, I thought. I thought he was really, really poor. There was times that he got the ball as we were pushing forward and he was like misplacing passes and he just didn't look, really look that comfortable. But it's quite interesting because you kind of think of Pepe as this player who you want to be playing on the last defender. Um, if he hasn't got the ball, like you want him to be taking on um, the left back of the other team. Or if he hasn't got the ball, you want him to be playing on the last defender where someone's slotting balls through into him for him to run onto. Um, and and when like he would get the ball wide and if he couldn't beat his man, he'd play it back inside or he'd play it back to Cedric. And there were a couple of, I don't know if you noticed this, Aaron, there were a couple of guys sitting, I think behind us or sort of to the left of us who kept kind of going at Pepe as a lot of Arsenal fans do saying, you've got to make the run, Pepe, you've got to make the run. And, and he wasn't making the run. He wasn't trying to make the run. Mm on the last man to, to, you know, for a through ball. And I think that was basically down to the fact that he was, he was seeing who the ball was going to and it was Cedric. And there's no way he's going to bother making that run because he knows he's not going to be on the end. Like the ball's not going to make it to him. And I don't know if that, that's just a one-off thing, but if you think about who the other right backs are, Chambers, is he going to be making that kind of killer through ball pass? Probably not. Probably not. And we saw like at the end of last season, how him and Erdogan linked up quite well. And I guess that's maybe kind of a bit of a positive thing to potentially hold on to for when Erdegaard does come into this team that, you know, you can kind of see that the one twos Pepe receives the ball, plays it into Erdegaard, makes the run, and Erdegaard will pick that pass out. Um, and maybe Erdegaard is the player that kind of links everything together, hopefully. Um, yeah, that's, that's what we're banking on. We're banking on, at some point, this combination of first-team players will come good mm. as a combination. Because right now, as individuals, like Pep, I agree with everything you said about Pepe, but at the same time, you can't have a player, who, what is someone who is a senior player now in our squad, who's so reliant on, I need this guy at right back, I need this guy as number 10 in order think, to function, otherwise Maybe, I'm not going to function. I don't know, mate. I mean, I, I think you could probably pick out a part, I don't know, I'd probably say there's probably seven or eight players yesterday who were pretty average. Who were pretty oh, yeah, average. I'm, I think everyone was average. I think. I mean, like that, you could say, as in you could say the same about... Um, I don't know, Aubameyang playing 20 minutes, half an hour, like, you know, he's relying on an Erdegaard in the team or an Ozil or a Cazorla or whatever. As in, you know, he's relying on those kinds of players to be feeding him because he's he's not really going to offer that much else otherwise, as we've said so many times. So I know, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. I, but I think... Yeah, I, just I don't think, think, it's just I don't think Pepe was the biggest problem yesterday. I don't, no, I, no, he wasn't. Pepe was one of our better players, probably, if anything. Say again, sorry. Uh, I think Pepe was probably one of our better players on the night. It's just... It's uh, it's another symptom of this disjointed attack that we have so many. Like, I just don't know what the plan is. Like you said, I think Pepe is really good when he's on the last defender heading into the box. But when I see him drifting out into the touchline, all it takes is for uh, you know, a fullback and a winger to just double up on him, and he'll just go back inside, back to the fullback, and mm. he'll just go round and round again. I'm inclined to, you know, almost going on Miser's point with, um, I think players do react quite often to the players who have got the ball. And uh, I think Pepe is perhaps maybe yesterday a bit of a victim of having quite a frustrating game from the perception of what other players were doing. So there's a there's a pro-Pepe propaganda video that was doing the rounds on Twitter today, which is all his clips from the game. And it was showing how in all these clips, another player wasn't making the right run or another player didn't make the right pass or another player kind of was doing something which ultimately wasn't on the same level as Pepe. Um, and, and that might be true. Uh, and it, it might well be true, but I, 
Aaron and Neil, I think it's a fantastic point that you made a bit earlier, which is what good attacking what attacking player has looked good in this system? Can we actually say has looked good in this system? So, you know, I think there's there's clearly pervasive issues, and I, I think just moving on to looking forward a little bit, I think if you're if you're if you're someone who doesn't follow Arsenal, and if you just listen to everything that we had said over the last forty five minutes, you'd probably think that this team has got real problems. You probably think that this team's got real problems. We've got a manager who probably doesn't quite know what he's trying to do um and now if we look forward we've got west brom in the um in the league cup in on on wednesday uh we've got man city um on the weekend how how does he approach these games guys because let's just let's think about this way let's say he gets knocked out again against west brom on wednesday and he goes on to lose to man city what kind of um what kind of energy is going to be around the club inside the dressing room and and, and in and in the stadium at that point so uh, how do you think all that's going to influence how he approaches let's just start with wednesday i think yeah like wednesday has now become it's just become massive hasn't it it's like you said, uh, Raj, if he loses that, I mean, let's just, you, ha- you kind of have to assume, as sad as this is, you know, to, again, how far we've fallen, you're going to have to assume Sundays are, if we're playing Sunday, Saturday, whenever it is we play City, Saturday, um, yeah. that, that that game's a, a no-hoper pretty much. But okay, let's just assume we lose that game. That that just increases the importance of a League Cup game in the second round, where, again, going back to going back 10, 15, 20 years, we, we don't think we've ever played in the second round or we haven't for a long, long time. But, yeah. you know, when we used to enter the League Cup, it was always, you know, the, the type of team that we put out would would be literally all of the kids. And now it's kind of like a lot of the kids are actually in our first team and now we're going to the, yeah. you know. So um, I, in terms of how he's going to have to approach it, I don't think he's going to be able to to change it up too much. I think he's, he's going to, I think, obviously we're already limited by a lot of first team players being out. Who, who do you think comes in? Well, this is the interesting thing. The other interesting aspect or factor is the transfer window closes uh, a few days after that, I guess. And uh, there's a number of players that potentially he might want to play to put them in the shop window to almost, if there's a team that's, you know, looking at some of these players like Nketiah and Maitland-Niles and Reese Nelson, you know, they, if they have good games, then it might almost prompt some of these teams to kind of put the money on the table or, or you know, whatever, come come out to reach out to us with a, with an offer. So, He's got quite an interesting balancing act to to manage here um, because he absolutely can't lose now. Like, yeah, I think it, the, 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 it's starting to turn. It is starting to turn. Like you could tell from the crowd yesterday, there were boos at halftime, there were boos at full time. It wasn't as bad as it was at the end of the Wenger era, you know, when it got really toxic. Mm. It wasn't, the it wasn't as bad as The Emory era got really toxic. And the Emory era, it? yeah. Um, it wasn't as bad as that, but like... Yeah, it, 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 it is starting to turn. It is starting to turn. And um, I mean, I guess he's kind of, I say he, I don't, you know, I don't mean to be disrespect, disrespectful, but I guess Arteta's a little bit lucky. The fact that, you know, it's West Brom away, um, it's City away. And mm-hmm. then I think it's a international break. So yeah. even if he does lose those two games from a, from a kind of fan uh, reaction perspective, he won't have to face, like it's not going to be, there's no, it, neither of those games are at home. So um, he almost yeah, but I mean, if we lose to West Brom away, hmm. regardless, that is no, no, it is. It, but I'm saying, is it like crisis, you know, so? Right? If yesterday, if yes, so if West Brom, if West Brom was at home on Wednesday and mm. we lose that, it's a very different reaction from the crowd than it is if us playing away. Yeah, yeah right? fair enough. Okay. That's the yeah. So 
and then and then you've got the international break. I think a lot of Arsenal fans have already written the City, City game off. So if, yeah. if a lot of fans have written the Chelsea game off, probably all of them have written the, the City game off. So yeah, like I said, massive, massive game. Not even because of the actual tie itself in terms of what we achieved by winning that game. It's just a massive game for Arteta. Does he get the team selection right? Does he get the performance? Do we score a goal? You know, do we create a chance? Well, we haven't scored a goal this season yet. Um, and I guess a question to you guys is, and this would be some story, wouldn't it? Is there any chance, do you think, that Arteta could get sacked by Man City and Pep Guardiola? No. Yes. No, I don't think so. Unless we lose to West Brom. I, yeah, okay, yeah. That's I, I think I mean, yeah. it's one, we're in this weird period now, actually, where the performance actually matters more than the results. Um I don't because... think it does, mate. Personally, sorry, so I don't not to interrupt. I don't. I don't think it does. I think when you're like, I don't. So we 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 spoke about this um, last episode at the start of the season. He was, I think, fourth favorite fourth favorite Premier League manager to be sacked. And I think after we lost to Brentford, he was like first or second favorite. I don't know where he is now. I haven't checked, but the pressure's ramping up. If not, but it's it... ramped up already. Yeah, yeah. I get so what I, what I meant is like put it this way, right? Let's say. We play really badly against West Brom, but scrape a one 0 win, right? We we lose to City, and then we've got Norwich, Burnley, Spurs, right? Let's just say it's more of the same with same same players, but the attack new sorry new players. The first team come back, but it's the same dull kind of like pass, 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 boring football. But we win, we scrape a two one win or scrape a one 0 win. We score with the only chance of the game against Norwich. Against Norwich. Okay. Yeah, score with the only chance of the game against Burnley, hmm. or set piece, score from a set piece or something, and then let's say we lose the Spurs. I think on that basis, if we're still not creating chances, if we're still not attacking properly, if we're still not excited by the way watching Arsenal play, hmm. that to me is more sackable than if we lose hypothetically five four to Norwich and <laughs> we lose 5-4 to Burnley and like are playing brilliant free-flowing attacking football finally um, well no but they make, that's like saying if we go if we go to City and we win 1-0 uh, scoring off a, a City penalty City is a free hit no no but I okay, let's, okay but let, let's say we go into let's say we play City uh, Norwich Burnley and Spurs we play terribly in all of those games. We end up with 20-30-40% uh, possession. We get completely dominated and we, we 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 manage to score like freak goals or, you know, whatever yeah. from a set piece, a penalty. And we win all four games. Artes is safe. He's fine. There's no there's that is he though? Is it because well are they gonna are they gonna sack him after winning those four games? They're not, right? They're not I, I, and even if he didn't win them, but we got good results out of them out. But despite being bad performances, I, don't, I mean, it's, I think he's actually, okay, fair enough. They were, they probably don't, they're def, almost definitely not going to sack him, but the pressure is still going to be on, right? No, like, I, I think, I think it I, personally, I don't think so. I think he's at the point now where he needs, like, it's like the West Brom game, right? We could play terribly, but as long as we win that game, it's not like the pressure's off, but it just, it gets put, it gets paused until probably yeah, the I think it's kind of, you know, you go past the city game and past the international break, it gets paused to Norwich. And I think Norwich is, Massive because it's back at home. The fans are going to turn up to that one. It's not going to be like yesterday where, you know, you kind of come in with a bit of trepidation and you're not really sure. And we're all, we were all predict between the four of us, we all predicted opposite results, basically, right? Draws, yeah, wins, yeah. losses. So I think you go into the Norwich game. When we do our predictions for Norwich, I would like to think all four of us are going to predict wins. If he doesn't win that one, then I think, you know, performance good or not, I think, uh, 
No, but I guess my point is, even if if we win at one nil, like what he needs is performances as well as results. I guess, like if the if we win against Norwich and it's just really the football and the attack is not good, and that continues, the pressure is not going to go away. I think what we want now is to see this plan start to come together. Right? What we want is. This is a vision. What is a vision? I kinda, yeah, I kinda your vision at, is I mean, scraping not, one nil wins. Not to labour the point, I guess, but like I guess I guess I look at it a bit differently. Where it's now, a, it's now a case of get the results, get the points to almost secure your position, and then you start to build in the performances where the morale's up because you've started climbing the table. You know you can start scoring some goals, and and things are starting to look up. Wins wins change everything. Like goals will change yeah. everything. Wins yeah, yeah. will change everything. And I I know what you mean. Ideally, we want the performances to come, and then the goals will come, and then the wins will come. I'm not sure it's going to necessarily work like that. Um, but I think either way, he, yeah, like, like we were saying, I think, I don't know about you, Aaron, do you think Wednesday is like massive? It's must win. He can't, if he loses, then it's a very, very different question. Um, They're top of the championship, aren't they? It's not like a... It's still, it's still West Brom, West Brom away. I know, but I'm saying I mean, is when you talk about, when you talk about the kind of teams that you want to play in a situation like this, it's probably, probably not the... No, no, the you'd rather like game, a, right? yeah, you'd rather like Norwich at home, to be honest, than West Brom away. But, um, yeah, I... Look, in terms of, in terms of results, in terms of performances, I actually, my personal opinion is I think you're actually both right on this. Um, because I think, if you take a step back, it feels like the board have backed an Arteta and Edu vision over the last mm-hmm. few windows. They've There is no one that, for as, for as much criticisms as we can give the Cronkies, there is no one that can turn around and say they've not been financially backed over the last number of windows. And it feels to me like they will give Arteta as many reasons as they can to not fire him. And I agree. And I think if he gets results, I think they won't fire him because I, even if the performance... Oh, yeah, poor, I don't think he... Will yeah. be fired, but I guess the question is, should he be fired? Yeah, yeah, okay, fair enough. So, I, I should he be a different question? I don't think they will. And I think if performances are good, and say if we're still not getting all the results, if the performances are good, we're creating chances, they may look at it and they might go, okay, look, this vision that we've backed, these players that we've got on, you know, Odegaard was seemingly a real big Arteta, um, you know, a, a, a high on the Arteta wish list. I think they'll probably say, look, we, we've got to give this guy every chance to get a return on our money, basically. Otherwise, we don't want to risk bringing in another manager who's going to turn around and go, oh, I bloody don't like any of these players. Um, yeah. Which I think I think they've somewhat mitigated for by signing young players. I think they'll turn around and go, no, you have to grow these players and you have to develop them. Um, but, you know, I think it is a bit of a precarious situation. I think ultimately the board will try and, you know, do whatever they can to to to, to not sack Arteta. But um, I think it's a good point. If we now move on to the should, and I guess we can, you know, we can, we can almost wrap up with this. In your opinion, as an Arsenal fan, in both your opinions, as, as Arsenal season ticket holders, what do you think should happen? Should he get sacked if he does not get a certain amount of points from the next number of games? Or should he be sacked if we are not performing, as in playing, a certain way? It depends how long. It's a question of how long, rather than, like, if we get to December yeah, and we're still hovering around the bottom half of the table, then Absolutely. Um, so you'd, you'd, you'd give it till you, you'd be willing to no I wouldn't I personally I think I would give him till Spurs right um, you've got West Brom City like you said is a write off I want to see a team when we play Spurs at home in the derby that is completely committed to whatever plan this is that Arteta is building to execute his game plan and for it to come good and I hope it does come good because I, I still really like Arteta but 
you know, by that point, you have no excuses for saying, you know, we're six games in or whatever. This is your team. Yeah, you have injuries. Hopefully it won't be as bad as it is now. But one or two injuries, every team has one or two injuries. Regardless, go out and beat a team who are no better than us, man for man. And before that, show that you can beat Norwich, show you can beat Burnley, and show that they're actually, we're actually on track to actually building towards something. Because I can back that. What I can't back is a feeling that we're going backwards or a feeling that we're standing still. I agree with you. What do you think, Mice? Yeah, uh, uh, similar thoughts, I think. Um, I'd potentially give him a bit longer than Spurs. Um, just because I think, I mean, I think it's may, may, mainly because, like you said, Aaron, I quite like him. I think it's there is a bit of a, um, just affection because he's an ex-player, ex-captain and all of that. So he kind of kind of gets a bit of good grace on, on, on that basis. And I think also, you know, as again, as Arsenal fans, we've, of of the age that we are we've been brought up on basically just one manager pretty much um and it's nice to it's nice to stick by your manager so i would like to think we'd give him a little bit longer than was it six or seven games into the season even if things are not looking great i mean look if he loses all of the games up until spurs and loses spurs i don't think he's got i don't think there's a hope in hell for him but um yeah i i think we might give him a bit longer than that even if the results aren't great um <sighs> But I don't think I don't think it's, it's going to. Yeah, I mean, like on the from from how badly last season was in terms of the first half, which basically ruined the rest of the season and handicapped us for the second half, despite how good the second half was, and we almost we, you know we climbed the table and we were pushing for sort of top six. I don't think they're going to let that happen again. I guess the only caveat to that is they've, like you said, Raj, they've really heavily backed him. They've really heavily invested in his and Edu's targets. So unless there is a I don't know, unless there is like a Conte, um, just, just pulling that name out there is probably the most qualified guy to come in and sort this all out. Um, and he say, he, he just says, yeah, I'm happy to work with what I've got. We'll wait till the, ne- we'll wait till the summer window next year to, for some more investment. Um, unless he's just there, ready to join um, and ready to take over. They've, they've also got to look at, you know, there's no point sacking him with no, no other plan. You can't, we can't go down the route that we've gone down with, with this kind of project manager or you potentially can, but you know what I mean? Like it was his first managerial job. They can't do that again. So if they're going to sack him, they need to have the next appointment lined up and ready to go. And it needs to be a guy that's, you know, fully qualified basically. Um, So I think they've got that to consider as well. And if the timing's not right, if Conte has got something else lined up or, and and I don't know who the other managers are, you know, Brendan Rogers has been mentioned. Um, If these guys are all saying no, then maybe it doesn't make sense to sack him, even if we aren't doing that great. Um, So, yeah. It's interesting that because not every, so I agree with that thought process. I, I personally think it's madness to sack a manager unless you've got someone else lined up who you think is going to do better. I mean, it's like, it's like saying if, you, if you're on a plane, if you don't like how the pilot is flying the plane, you don't kick the pilot out of the plane unless you figured out someone else can fly the damn thing. Do you know what I mean? Right. In the same, in the same way, but there's people who don't agree with that. There's people who say you shouldn't, that shouldn't be a reason for not sacking a manager. They say that if you, if the manager's not doing the job that you need them to, you sack the manager and then you look out there because it might be a case where once you sack the manager, a chain reaction happens or someone goes, oh, hang on, the Arsenal job's actually available. I, I, you know, I, actually, I, I'm, I'm keen on that. Um, but, but there are ways yeah. of doing that. If you know you're going to sack Arteta, I think mm. smart business people can put feelers out I don't think they, yeah, in yeah. advance. I'd be right? very I'm sure um, that way still, right? Chelsea did that, right? Chelsea did that with... Tuchel, right? They knew they were going to sack Lampard. Um, and then Tuchel became 
they were definitely sending out feelers beforehand. Yeah. Um, so there, are, I agree. I think unless you have really good faith in your number two, um, you it's it's a big risk unless you have someone lined up because you know you then it yeah you, know, you do what Spurs have done and end up with Nuno Espirito Santo, which I'm sure no Spurs fans actually wanted. Well, he's one, two, and two, so not, not yeah, too unhappy yeah, right. at the moment, I guess. Exactly, yeah. yeah. With no Harry Kane, <laughs> pretty much. So, yeah. I'm going to eat my words. <laughs> <laughs> so, guys, look, I think we'll, we'll, we'll wrap it just before we wrap up, just to, just to conclude, I guess, you know, by the next time we record our next podcast, the transfer window is going to be shut. We can perhaps do a little review of the window, but in terms of remaining activity, yes, there might be some outgoings. We can see Niketch's link with Palace. We can see. Kalasnach, I think, is on his way to Fenerbahce, Lucas Torreira to Fiorentina. Realistically, some of the other guys, Nelson, Maitland, Niles, etc. We, we, we don't know, William, we don't know if anything's going to happen. So let's just, let's not even bother trying to guess. Um, but in, in terms of incomings or any other maybe notable outgoings, like an Aubameyang or something, do you think anything like that's going to happen? We were talking about this, weren't we, Aaron, and after the game yesterday, you asked me the question. It'd of, be nice just to have one surprise, wouldn't it? Surprise exit. Yeah, yeah surprise right. incoming. Inco- oh, incoming, okay. I mean, exit would be great if we could get all of those players out. I saw some rumours just now about William and Torreira having offers made for them, but I think it's all speculation still. Um, yeah, it would be nice. Another midfielder. I think Lokonga's great, but I think defensively Lokonga's still a bit suspect in my opinion. Um, we can't really rely on him. Like, I just, I don't know, even if like Partey and Xhaka just doesn't really excite me. Um, so I'd love another central midfielder. Do you see it happening? Right. Do, do, do you see it happening? No, I don't see okay. us doing anything. It's my short answer, but I would. I still think like there are two or three key positions that we need to sort out. What about you, Mike? Do you see anything happening? Yeah, I was just saying. So um, yeah, Aaron and you. We we had a chat about this after the game, didn't we? And yeah, I think I said central midfield. You know, it would be kind of like a dream if we could get a partner for Partey. Um, mm. Realistically, I don't see that happening unless there's some major outgoings. I mean. Yeah, I think it's going to depend on outgoings and funds. And let's just say hypothetically, someone comes in for a Bamiyang and we sort of take the money and, and get him off the the wage book, which I don't think would be a great move. But, you know, if they bring it, then they're obviously going to have to bring in a striker. But, um, I mean, I don't know. It's a weird it's a weird one because right back seems to be this very key position that we're looking to strengthen. And we've still got four right backs on the books. Yeah. So, again, you can't really see, see that happening. I think the one... If it could, if it does happen, it might just be central midfield. But there's no point in buying like another Lokonga type play, and I don't mean his style of play. I mean that age, kind of you know, very young, kind of inexperienced guy who's going to be very good in a couple in the next couple of years, but is not ready to play forty games a season or thirty games a season or whatever. So, um, and that, and that kind of player in central midfield is probably going to cost you Thomas Partey money. So it's going to depend mm. on outgoings. Mm. Um, yeah. So unless there's some sort of like flurry of activity. Uh, between now and ne- in the next few days, then um, I can't really see anyone else coming. I do. I do think whoever comes in will probably have to be a little bit more experienced as well. Yeah. Um, I think we've got a lot of, like, I think their strategy of buying 23 year olds is great, but I wonder if you're throwing in another 22, 21 year old right back in or another 21 year old striker into a very ex- inexperienced team, it would be, <laughs> Yeah, it's probably an even more reason why it's even harder to do. But, you know, finding a 26, 27-year-old and putting them in that team who can contribute now yeah. would be very, very helpful. The one 
the one big one that I think might happen, and I'm not really basing this on anything apart from sort of stuff I've seen on Twitter, is Bellerin leaving. Like, I think someone might come in for him because he's clearly like he's not. It's just mental that he didn't obviously he didn't start the last two games. Mm-hmm. And when um, mm. Chambers came off the other day against Brentford, it was Tavares that came on. So he's like not just out of favour. It's you know he's not even fourth choice right back, which is pretty mm-hmm. crazy. So and you know he's a, he's an asset that's sitting on our books, probably on fairly decent wages, and could generate some funds. And even if it is, you know, we twelve months ago we were probably saying twenty twenty five million for Bellerin, and now we're probably saying we'll take ten. I don't know about you guys, but you know, yeah. you know it's realistic. That's what probably could, the number that's probably going to kind of come in. And I think the club might look at that and just say, yeah, because he's completely surplus to requirements, and obviously. Um, he wants to go as well so that that might be one that you know you get some funds in from there and it might trigger something but and there was links with um trippier wasn't there there was a links about a swap deal with trippier which would be a really odd i'd find that really odd to be honest i'd be i'd be quite happy i'd be quite a permanent swap deal or like a i read like a loan swap deal or something like that i'm not sure like a one-year swap and then they just swap back which sounds kind of crazy that'd be a bit weird. it would be a bit i mean if, if it's for a year i think we can make it work but Anything more permanent seems a bit risky. Hmm. Okay, guys. Well, I think we'll wrap up there. So I think, as I said, the next time we're going to speak, because, Mizey, you're going off on a little bit of a jolly, aren't you, to Spain? <laughs> jolly, mate. Uh, family holiday to Spain. Mate. I'm off. I'm, Still... off uh, I'm going to be away for the West Brom game uh, and the City game. So I don't know whether to just not watch them. <laughs> Do that. <laughs> just turn turn everything on. No, to be fair, I don't. That's basically what Raj does anyway nowadays. Anyway, what's that? It's basically what Raj does now anyway. I don't know if I'll be able to watch. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but City will obviously be. I can catch it in the pub. So I'm definitely going to watch that. Okay. Um, yes, yeah, so I guess we'll be chatting after the City game at some point, right? We're chatting after City game. A lot could be different. That the window is going to be closed we you know will be very interesting to see how we feel in our next podcast um but no look thanks everyone for tuning in as always we really really appreciate your support and um and i hope i've got some more american viewers like roped into to uh to this podcast i was advertising this a lot in antigua and there's a lot of americans who were there so um but you know as i mentioned to you guys they did keep thinking that we were called the assholes um so (laughs) let's hope they find the right podcast but uh, yeah, no. <laughs> <On> YouTube <laughs> um, channel. Yeah. Oh, YouTube channel, exactly. Otherwise, like, yeah, they might find some really interesting stuff, and they might be into that as well. I mean, I don't know, but like, anyway, um, cool. All right, thank you, everyone, for Raj, tuning in. Well done on a uh, thank you. Yeah, very good job. I was, I was yeah, sort yeah. of sweating a bit. Do you know, what I mean? it's quite hard work. I, enough respect for you, guys. You know, respect, man. <laughs> one, one day I'll get to your level. One day, um, but all good. All right. Uh, thank you, everyone, and um, take care. And we'll, we'll we'll speak to you next week. Cheers, guys. See you guys. Bye. See you later.